So, welcome to Grace and Peace Church. Grace and Peace Church exists to seek the renewal of Colorado Springs, and we do that through three ways. One is connecting with God, and the way that we connect with God is not that we get to God, but that God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ to come and renew this world. And so we worship on Sundays. It is for us to be transformed as his people, to live into this world, and to be his agents of reconciliation into this world. So we come here on Sundays to connect with him to be transformed, to sing of his good news. And then we care for each other in city groups every, uh, every week is when we meet and that we hear a prayer request, that we hear what's going on in each other's lives and that we are then the presence of God in each other's lives, that we are there to listen to be people to, uh, have, so, so that there would be people to have shoulders to cry on we wrestle through the difficult things of life together. And we don't do that apart from one another. We are here to do that together. And then lastly, we talk about cultivating in the city. We are a church that loves this place. And God has given you a job. He's given you a family, relationships. He's put you in a particular place to love your neighbor and to be people who love your neighbor well. And that we, it is no accident that you have the job that you have. And God wants to bring his redemption, his good news into that place. And so that's, that's, where, that's uh, why, why he has you there. We're not to retreat. We're not to be a church that says, you know, this world is going, it's going down, it's going to burn up, and so we just run away. No. No, we believe the good news that God has come to us in his very person with skin on, and so we show up too because he loves this world. And he showed up in this world. So we're people who cultivate in the city. Uh, last week, we started a sermon series on how to be wise or, or ancient wisdom for a modern age, right? Uh, and as we, we talk about ancient wisdom, we, we, we kind of need to go back and ask, what does it mean to be wise? What is wisdom? And so here's my one-line definition. Wisdom is skill in the art of godly living, skill in the art of godly living. So it's not education, it's not a great amount of knowledge, it is the ability to navigate life in a way that pleases and glorifies God. That's what it is. That is what we're looking for. And that the gospel, Jesus Christ, gives us the pattern and the power for wisdom. And so he's what motivates and transforms. He has sent his spirit so that we could live according to his ways into the world. And that he's also the pattern. And what was the pattern of wisdom? The pattern of wisdom was self-sacrifice. Looking out for the good of others. To love others. And so the reason why you are to, one of the questions you ought to ask yourself is, how is this loving someone when you, when you go out and you, you do certain things? And so, and how you navigate the world. And today it takes us to what we're talking about, which is I, I cleverly entitled, Taming the Tongue in the Time of Twitter. It's a lot of teases in there, isn't there? Taming the tongue in the time of Twitter. Uh, have you ever said something that you wish you could take back? Like as soon as you said it, you're like, oh no, 
you know, and you wish you could just like, ah, put it back. But so, so that's, that's a feeling that a lot of us have. Of course, nowadays it is you type something, you press send, and you're like, <laughs> when you say it, and then suddenly res- someone responds back and you're like, no, how do I edit, delete, and fix this? But it's already been out in the world, someone screenshotted it, and now you're in trouble forever, right? And so this happened to a person named Justine Sacco. This is what happened. She was a communications director for, for the Interactive Corp. And she tweeted her travels. So she was like live tweeting her travels, something that I would probably want to do someday. But she says this. Uh, she tweeted, weird German dude. You're in first class. It's 2014. Get some deodorant. In her monologue as I inhale B.O., Thank God for pharmaceuticals, she says. Then, uh, during her layover at Heathrow, she tweeted, chili, cucumber, sandwiches, bad teeth, back in London. Then, before her final leg of her trip to Cape Town, she said, going to Africa, hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding, I'm white. And suddenly you realize... Oh, crud, she has just dug herself a hole. So, during her 11-hour flight from Heathrow to South Africa, it went viral. She lands, turns on her phone, and her phone erupts. And you, you know what it's like when it erupts. It's like non-stop vibrating. You're like, what's going on? And she's like, I didn't know it would happen. I only had 170 followers. She touched down and lost her six-figure job. Your words matter. What you say has power. Or how about this? Young lady, Generation Z or I generation, she gets an internship at NASA, decides to tweet about it, and it was a little derogatory, and it was a profane tweet. So an unknown man asks her to watch her language. She comes back, and she puts this, just an explicit derogatory attack against the man. Turns out the man is on the board that heads up, da-da-da-da-da, NASA. She loses her job. You see, all of our words are going to be weighed, and not just on social media. It's real. You get good responses for, so, for your words on social media, don't we? But what if every tweet, post, or thought in our head, every word that we say to our kids, to our spouse, to our neighbor, everything we've ever said about someone who lives on the streets, or anything we've ever said to uh, those who are outside of our little group were weighed. And the truth is, they will someday be weighed. And so every word is powerful. And so this, this text in the book of Proverbs will go over and teach us how to be people of wise words. And if we're going to be people of wise words, we're going to need to look at the power of words, the Oh my gosh, I need to look through my notes. The pattern of wise words, and then lastly, the pronouncement of words. The power of words, the pattern of words, 
and the pronouncement of words. So let's look at this, the power of words. Uh, Proverbs 18.21, the text we said, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Life and death. He makes it super dramatic. We're talking like saving and death. Right? And then also in chapter 12, in, in verse 18, he says that words or the tongue are sword thrusts, like a killing stroke, and it's healing. It is the ability to mend. Uh, one of the greatest lies that you're taught as a child is sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You guys all know that, right? We have lived how long? Many of us have lived years and years realizing sticks and stones, yeah, they may definitely break my bones. But as Tim Keller says, words have the power to destroy the soul. And you know every time that you're angry with someone and you want to get them, it is just like a sword thrust. You're like, I'm going to go in for the kill. I'm going for the kill. I'm going to get this guy or this girl. I'm going to get him. And our words have power. What are some powerful words that we hear? We, the jury, find the defendant guilty. Uh, I'm pregnant. That's a powerful one. It's a girl. We regret to inform you that you've been rejected. We're sorry, but your father died today. Congratulations on being, on being welcome to the class of 2022 at Stanford University. That'd be legit. But words have power. Words have power. Um, in uh, rap battles in hip-hop, I grew up listening to rap. Uh, one of my favorite songs was by House of Pain, and they talk about uh, lyrics being, his lyrics in rap battles being things that were like bombs and, and, and uh, guns. And he says this, Word to your moms, I came to drop bombs. I've got more rhymes than the Bible's got psalms. And just like the prodigal son, I've returned. Anyone stepping me, you get burned. Because I got lyrics, but you ain't got none. If you come to battle, bring a shotgun. But if you do, you're a fool, because I'll duel to the death. Trying to step to me, you'll take your last breath. I got the skills, come get your fill, because when I shoot, I shoot to kill. I came to get down, I came to get down, you know the rest of the song. So get you out your seat and jump around. Um, and the thing is, and if you, you go to my house, this is a normal song that's played, and I do not condone listening to rap all the time. Sometimes the lyrics are a bit much. But what is he trying to say? He's saying that his words are powerful. That if you get in the way of his words, he's going to blast you. You better get out of the spray, the, 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 the field of damage. And so he's saying his words are powerful. And the thing is, is a lot of our words are used to cut people down, to mow them down. And our words kind of are used for our self-vindication, our self-validation to make us better. By cutting other people down, making ourselves look better. And that's a lot of the ways we use words. And so they can be to heal. The power of words can be used to heal or they can be used to hurt. So what are healing words like? Words that heal are not words that are avoid of like constructive criticism, right? But they're words that encourage and point friends to the greater or best good. There are words that encourage or point our friends, ourselves, our spouses, our kids to the best good. 
And what's at the heart, at the heart of those who speak these healing words would be for the other and the glory of God, would be for the good of the other and the glory of God. Now what about words that hurt? What are they like? Words that hurt are vengeful. They're all truth, but no grace. There's no empathy. They're meant to stab, as it says, or sword thrusts, and not to heal. See, there's a difference between knifing somebody and cutting them open to do surgery. And wise words, when correctly yielded, wielded, is to cut to do surgery, to remove what is sick out, to remove corruption for the good of the person. But oftentimes, we have a scalpel in our hands, and all we're doing is wanting to be Stabby McStabberson, aren't we? That's, that's what we want to do. We just want to get the other person. And so words have the power to heal or to hurt. And they also have the power to heal or to hurt the one who speaks them. It says in, in verse 21, 18 verse 21, uh, those who love it eats its fruits. It means um, they have, that you will reap or you will eat the fruit of your lips, which is rooted in your hearts. Your words will make your bed and you will sleep in them. You'll reap what you sow from the words of your mouth. Proverbs 12, tells us what lies at the heart of the tongue. It says, lying lips are an abomination, focus on that word, to the Lord. I need, to get, I need a trim here. But those who act faithfully are his delight. And so it juxtaposes two things. The lips of the liar versus the lips of those who act faithfully. Oh, no, don't worry about it. We're good. Um, no, I, I'm, I guarantee it's my, the, yeah, my, the hair. I know, don't do that. <laughs> I'm about to go on vacation, and so I'm going to go for the mustache. My kids hate it. That's why I love it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so in, Pro, in Proverbs 22, there's the lying lips, and then those who are faithful, who act faithful. And so it juxtaposes. It talks about abomination and faithful. Abomination is typically a word that is used for idolatry, for a person whose heart loves something other than God, more than God. And a faithful person is one who sets the Lord as priority in their life, and so they juxtapose it. So speaking comes from what we love most, lying versus faithful. And then the, the lying person, though, loves something other than God most. And that the one who lo- who's faithful is the one who loves God the most. And so Jesus, when speaking to a group of Pharisees, he says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let me illustrate this for my own life. This week I was confronted with my own sin. I said something, I spoke something that was out of turn and I should not have said it. And when I was confronted on it, there was no hiding. I had made my bed and I needed to lie in it. I needed to eat the fruit of my own lips at this time. And so what did I need to do? I confessed that I had messed up, but then I needed to think about how deeply rooted it was. And what does it mean to have a, you know, lying lips are an abomination? 
How is it tied into loving something other than God? And I realized at that moment what I was loving more than anything else, what I was loving more than anything else was my ability to feel self-important, to have knowledge. I felt insecure about something, so I decided to speak something that I should not have said because I love something at that moment more than God and doing the right thing. And it was unwise. And I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. And so, you know, we, we, ask, we need to ask ourselves, what did I want to do? Did it, was it to heal or was it to hurt? My words were meant to hurt. It hurt somebody. And it was meant at that time to make myself feel important. And it was wrong. And so words have power. Words have power. How about the pattern of wise words? What does the pattern of wise words look, at, look like? Often when we read the Bible, we have to be disciplined to understand what the writer is promoting. So if you read Proverbs, you hear a lot of like promotion, but you're trying to understand like, how in the world do I apply this to my life, okay? Uh, it's given not necessarily in these specific commands. It would be great if Proverbs said, uh, watch your tongue, you know? It'd be awesome. But, then there's, but they give him these little proverbial little nuggets, and you're like, hey, what the heck does this mean? Uh, let me put it this way. My kid's favorite line is, Daddy, I'm hungry. Right? Daddy, I'm hungry. And if you could speak child, you know exactly what Daddy, I'm hungry means, right? What does Daddy, I'm hungry means? It means get me something to eat. You know, preferably McDonald's french fries. That's a big, big thing in our family. Or a cookie. Get me a cookie. You know, and, and so it means, Daddy, get me food. So in the same way, when the writer says, uh, from the fruit of a man's mouth, a, a stomach is satisfied, or, or, uh, he's, or death and life are in the power of the tongue, what he's trying to say is, watch your mouth. Use your words wisely. Be wise with your words. And so we need to kind of figure out, what is the pattern of speech or words that are wise? Ready for this? If you're a list-taking person be really satisfied here, okay? The pattern of wise words, they are honest, they're few, they are calm, they are apt, A-P-T, they're constructive, they're kind, they are honest, few, calm, apt, constructive, and kind. So what does it look like? To, how does the Bible tell us to have honest words? How does Proverbs tell us? Well, in 24, 26, it says, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. 12, 19 says, truthful lips endure. 4, 24 says, put away from you yourself crooked speech and put devious talk from you. So what does that mean? Be honest. Be honest with your talk. And it also means not to be self-centered or manipulative. It's not to be devious or sneaky. It's not to have half-truths. It's not to conceal the truth, but to give it honestly. Next, it tells us that the word should be few. Proverbs 13, 13 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. A fool gives, or it, uh, Proverbs 29, uh, 11 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Do you know how hard it is to have few words when you're a verbal processor like me? It is like, sometimes I like throw stuff out there and I'm like, oh no. And so, few words. 
That means we have to think about what words we want to put out there. Next, it talks about having calm words. And this is really important if you have kids or if you're married to speak calmly. Uh, 17.27 says this, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool, notice that the Bible uses cool, cool spirit is a man of understanding. Uh, 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stirs up anger. Chapter 18, verse 13 says, If anyone gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. And so, in our time of uh, social media, especially Twitter, or if you see someone put out there something ridiculous, it is really easy to use inflammatory language And this ought to tell us, don't do it. As soon as you feel in your heart that desire to, I'm going to get you, sucker, maybe we ought to think, I need to watch myself right here. I need to watch myself. Next, it talks about the the words, wise words are apt, meaning these words suits the occasion for whatever they're saying. Chapter 25, verse 20 says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on, on soda. What this means is, have you ever just like uh, someone, someone who's sad and then they're going to go over there and sing happy songs to them? You know what they want to do? They want to kick you, okay? That's what it means. Like, hey, get your happy clappy away from me. I am feel- it's, it's hurting in here. Why? It doesn't match the mood. Or have you ever heard a song uh, where, where the lyrics and the song don't match? And you're like, what in the world happened here? That's what it's like, is what the, what the author is saying. Chapter 27, verse 14 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice, kids, listen carefully, rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. <laughs> you know? My kids wake up like super early. They're like, ah! Dad, I love you. And I'm all like, I love you too. Go away. That's what it's like. So you got to use the appropriate language, the appropriate tone, the appropriate measure, and you got to do it correctly and you got to think about it. Next, it talks about these words are constructive. Uh, chapter 20, verse 15 says, There is gold and an abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge or a precious or crowning jewel. Chapter 16, verse 21, or verse 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. It's to build up. Words, good, wise words, build others up. Uh, 15.2 says, The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Your words are meant to build up, not tear down. And it also says, any fool can find fault, but wisdom involves giving help. How often is it that when we're on social media or something, we're really good to give, not uh, constructive criticism, we're just good to do destruction. Just give criticism. No help whatsoever. We're like, they should know better. But in this age, in this age of social media, what is the pattern of speech of those who are unwise as well? What are those? Uh, they're, the, they're the attacking ones. So it's thoughtless. It's untruthful. 
It promotes sin. It's mocking and it's self-glorifying. It's thoughtless, untruthful, promotes sin. It's mocking and self-glorifying. And so uh, thoughtless words, it's talking instead of doing. They're empty. You can see this in uh, 1423. Thoughtless words are ignorant. They don't really know what they're talking about. They say whatever. Thoughtless words are reckless. They're hasty. They speak before it seeks the whole story. Um, Do you know what that's like? Uh, uh, Thoughtless words are like straw men fallacies. Do you guys know what that is? You go and you, your, your enemies, your, 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 your opponent's argument, you go and show it in the worst possible light. We're like, look how stupid they are. Look how ridiculous that is. And, you know, whenever uh, we're about to have a political election season coming up, you know, we have like 23 Democrats in the, in the field right now. And what they're going to do is they're going to set up these little straw man arguments. They're like, here's their argument. Ha! And they destroy it real easily. All right? Well, those are thoughtless words. You know, if you actually had their argument, how would, how would you react? Don't do that on social media. Cool. Uh, untruthful words. They're, the words are also untruthful. Unwise words are untruthful. They're always half-truths. They misrepresent opponents uh, as well. Or they're flat-out false. They can also be flat- lying and flattering words. Meaning, you butter someone up to manipulate them. Those are unwise words. It also, unwise words promotes sin. Unwise words are mocking. And they are used to mock others. And they're used to mock God. And often we mock God by just with any of our unwise words because we think that he's never going to judge any of our words. We never think that our words are going to make it there. And then also, unwise words are self-glorifying. Meaning, it's cause, it brings attention to myself to show how good I am, to put myself up on a pedestal. You see, there's this unwise versus wise. Unwise words sound like this. You always do this. You're always so insensitive. Why are you so thoughtless? Weren't you, always, weren't you even thinking? You probably weren't, were you? You know, and so those are unwise words. And so what would the reaction be? What would wise words look like? Uh, you, to, you always do this? Um, I, f- I feel like you, you have a, a hurtful habit. It's not, it's not good for you. you keep, I feel like you keep doing this. It owns your feelings. Uh, what, another unwise phrase would have been, uh, you are so insensitive Instead of saying, instead you, a wise word might say, I feel like you hurt my feelings and you weren't really considering how I was feeling. Is that true? Uh, instead of saying, you are so thoughtless, um, you, you say, weren't you even thinking? No, I'm joking. You're so thoughtless. You know, you say things, I, I don't, I'm not sure you were even considering how I was feeling at that moment or how others were feeling. Weren't you thinking? Like, just ask. I, I feel like you didn't see the whole picture. Is that true? And not many of us actually slow down to ask these questions or to change them like this. 
And so imagine, and this is especially true, especially if you have kids, because your words as an adult will cut a kid up. And it'll change the way they live the rest of their lives. And I'm guilty of using cutting words toward my kids. And so how do we become people who have wise words? Proverbs 13.3 says you must guard your mouth. We must guard it like a gatekeeper. We must watch every word that comes out. We must think before we speak. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. means we have to get a good picture of everything. We need to pray for godly motivation. That's what Proverbs 16.1 says, for godly motivation. We need to tell others. We need to get accountability. We need to confess to others to say, I've got this problem, and have them help us with it. Lastly, we need to meditate on the cross. And it's not just emptying your mind, but it's filling it with the truth. You retell or you revoice your story of your life. That you, and the word spoken over you, is that you are loved and you are cared for and you are justified. You're his child. You need to meditate on those words and act appropriately. Uh, this movie, The King's Speech, has King George VI. He's a stutterer. He stammers. He's afraid to speak in public. But then his father, the king, dies, and his brother abdicates the throne, leaving King George to leave the country during a time of war. And he is supposed to give the speech during their declaration of war. But through his words, either he's going to instill confidence or he is going to. Make them freak out and be insecure and scared. And so his words are very powerful and important here. And how does he have wise words? He ends up, because of his stammer, going to a speech therapist named Lionel Logue. And there's two things that he ends up doing. He kind of looks back at the patterns that caused his stammer or the events that caused his stammer. And he talks about trauma and abuse being ignored and being physically abused by a nanny. And it caused him to start to stammer. And what the, the speech therapist then does is to, has him tell his story and then on another sense retell the, another story that he is powerful, that he's strong, that, his, that he could say these things, that he, his words matter, and that he's noticed. So he retells his story and then he gives him new habits to practice so that his mouth would be formed and shaped. And he does it by things like singing. Like singing. And so he makes him sing and he gives out this powerful speech and he doesn't stammer. And it causes the nation to be united as he makes this declaration of war. And that they're going to see it through. And all this strength comes from the ability to ha- be new habits and retelling the story. And for many of us, we need to have the retelling of our story. We need to develop new habits in our lives. That's what has to happen. But he needed someone else to do that with him. And so how are we going to be people who have wise words? We're going to have to go through. We have to do hard work. We have to develop new habits. We have to watch our words. 
Lastly, let's look at the pronouncement of words. God makes pronouncements throughout the story of the Bible. In creation, he says it's good. In the fall, he'll say that it is evil or wicked. In redemption, God says it is finished. In glory, he says he's making all things new. So words are given us to uh, cause things to be attributed or to know things. They form and shape our imagination. And so here's the thing. When uh, I marry someone, I pronounce them husband and wife. That is a pronouncement. Uh, at the end of your graduation, they pronounce you graduates. Congratulations. It is done, and it's done with the power of words. Right? And so, oftentimes, the way we are using words and the pronouncements that we're trying to look for on social media, we want this self-vindication to shore up our standing in the tribe, to alleviate our insecurity. So, um, Christian people do this all the time, especially on Twitter. Do you know how we do this? You know, someone puts out something out there, and so what do we do? We feel insecure a little bit about our, our standing in the tribe. So the thing that we do is we start to uh, write, like, well, that person's stupid. Those stupid non-Christians, people will say. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be like, uh, those evil people on the left, those evil people on the right, don't they know better? And so we start doing this to sure up our standing in the tribe, to make ourselves look good. And what we're doing is we're trying to speak a word and get these likes and get people to speak words back to us to vindicate us, to give us justified, to make us have the right standing. And at the same time, we're indicting others. You see, every time we get like a like or anything, it makes us feel elated. It is like a word being spoken to you that you're valid. Uh, when's the last time you ever felt elated? What words were spoken to you? That you ever felt joyous? What words were spoken to you? You see, often though, our pronouncements over ourselves and others are pretty poor. Think about the internal, the internal struggle that you have and the pronouncements you make on yourself as you go to bed at night. And you think about your day and everything that went on. What are the judgments you tell yourself? Let you let you in on some of the judgments I feel at times. Sometimes we will tell ourselves, and I tell myself that I'm a failure. I pronounce upon myself that I'm insignificant. I'm weak, stupid, proud, slow, uneducated, insecure, critical, not hardworking. And oftentimes that's our pronouncement on ourselves, isn't it? Sinful, unworthy, unnoticed, not worthwhile. These words are pronouncements on ourselves, like they're judgments. That's what's stamped on our resume is what we think. We go to bed at night, fearful of the next day. It's showing that we thinking that I have to prove myself the next day. But God in his word comes back. And I think the Bible starts to tell us and that God says of his people that believe Jesus Christ and trust him that you're valid, you're vindicated, you're justified, you're sanctified, which means that you're being made holy, that you are holy, that you're adopted, you are his beloved, 
it is finished. My child. Sometimes the voice of the pronouncements in our head against us and the indictments against us seem really loud. And what do we need to do? We need to turn up the volume on the truth about Jesus Christ. That in him we are valid, we are vindicated, we're justified, we're sanctified, we're adopted, we're beloved, we're his children. And we see this, we know this at the cross. We know this at the cross. That all those things are true. And in the resurrection, we know that he is making all things new. That he did die for me. I have this little trick with my kids. I always ask them, how do you know that God loves you? And my kids, just like it's automatic. I poke them and they say, because Jesus died on the cross. That's how he loves me. That's how he loves you. And so the words on your life is not failure or invalid. It is not those things. It is what is true in Jesus Christ and what he has afforded for you, which is righteous and good and redeemed and worthwhile. That's what is true. I came to the realization this week, though, that I'm really good at believing God's grace and God's words for you. I'm not really good at believing it for myself. And that was a hard thing. And I wonder if many of us sit here and we, we believe God's grace is good for everybody else and the person sitting next to me, but we have a hard time wondering, or not, wondering whether or not God's grace is good for me and that his words are true for me. On the cross, we see that he loves us, that his words are true. And as you come to the Lord's Supper and you take and eat, let it be a proclamation that his word over your life is grace for you. It's good enough for you. Yes, it's good for your neighbor, but it's good enough for you too. And I need that this week. Let us pray.